I'm Grant. And I'm Katie. And we're the McDonald family. We have one son, Ethan, and four daughters, Emily, Ellie, Eva, and Evelyn. We were part of the, the campus uh, at uh, Westwood Wistanka, and it's really been a very loving, uh, friendly environment. We have felt God's love um, in our lives through the relationships that we've formed at Westwood Wistanka. Our kids are also experiencing the love of God when they go to um, Westwood Wistanka Children's Ministry every Sunday. They recognize all their friends from school because they're all local and they just get to celebrate being loved by Jesus every Sunday together and it's one thing they definitely look forward to during the week. As we anticipate the birth of Jesus, we celebrate love. John 3, 16, 19. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. We're the McDonald family, and today we celebrate love. Would you join me in thanking the McDonald family out at West Tonka? Thank you for participating in the Advent reading today. And thanks for all of you for coming to our third Sunday of Advent when we're talking about unexpected stories, everyday people. And it seems like there's the unexpected that happens every day. We're getting Christmas cards now. Are you getting Christmas cards at home? And I got a Christmas card this week. Honestly, I opened it and I laughed out loud. Best Christmas card ever. This is what I opened up and saw. There's their Christmas card. And if you'll notice, there's no people. I, I've noticed a trend in Christmas cards that most of the Christmas cards come with a lot of people and no names. This card has no people but names. Here's what it says on the bottom. Not shown from left to right. Mary, Zach, Alyssa, Kaylee, Charlie, Kenzie, and Pat. And on the back it says, we made a deal. He would do the picture and I would address and mail all the cards. So there you go. <laughs> Isn't that the best Christmas card ever? I just, that just takes pressure off. So, you know, love that card. Made my day, laughed throughout the course of the day, kept going, and th this is what it's all about, right? Well, this Advent, we're looking at some of the hidden stories, unexpected stories, to Christmas, believing that God wants us to see something in them. And when we see something, it impacts us. Max Lucado and... Um, writes about this guy by the name of Bob Eden who was blind for 51 years. He had never had the ability to see. And a surgeon performed this meticulous surgery and Bob Eden got sight for the first time in his life after navigating, you know, feeling his way through five decades of darkness. And wow, what, what an experience. And he, he wrote about it. I, I wish I could write, i show you everything he wrote, but let me show this piece of it, touched me. He wrote, I would never have dreamed that yellow is so yellow. I don't have the words. I'm amazed by yellow, but red is my favorite color. I just can't believe red. I can see sunrises and sunsets. You can never know how wonderful everything is. Sometimes blind people see and beauty gets magnified. 
And sometimes seeing people are blind. And beauty gets muted because beauty becomes so commonplace. It becomes commonplace in nature. We can walk by beauty all the time. It becomes commonplace in relationships. People who are closest to us, a friend, a spouse, a colleague, where there's so much beauty and we don't take time to notice the beauty. And it's the same with the Christmas story. The beauty of the Christmas story can be so commonplace that we miss all that's unfolding, that when you accept Jesus in your life through even the hidden stories that we talk about in this series, when you accept him as the son of God in your life, yellow is so yellow. And beauty gets magnified and his presence gets awakened in you. And that's the reality of what we find in the unexpected of what happens to Joseph, just an everyday guy who says yes to Jesus, but not without some significant struggle at first. It takes a courageous pause for Joseph to accept God's son into his life. And the story I know is so commonplace, but would you allow me to read it to you? And maybe you shut your eyes or somehow take hold of it as um, we revisit the Christmas story. This is from Matthew's Gospel just after genealogy, chapter 1 verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was being pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, if I could pause there, because that creates some confusion. Husband, divorce, I didn't think they were married yet, and you're correct. They were betrothed to be married, which is more formal and stronger than an engagement per se. It's more binding. So it's a formal arrangement. She has a conversation with Mary's father and agrees to take Mary to be um, his wife. And therefore, because of the formality and the strength of that agreement, a formal separation is required, which they called a divorce in that time. We pick up this story. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. That's the message I want to give today, is simply this, that an authentic relationship with Jesus always requires courage. Say, we need courage. We need courage. That will be a theme for us because courage is simply this ability to face what's before us. It's to face the challenges that are there in front of us. And we find that the angel comes with this announcement and says, Joseph, do not be afraid. Why does the angel say, Joseph, do not be afraid? It's because Joseph was afraid. <laughs> he was afraid. And so the Hebrew word for courage is linked to the word strength. So when we feel weak, when we feel unequal to the task, when we feel uncertain, we need courage to face the challenges that are before us. Joseph needed it, and so we need it as well. So what I'd like to do in our time together is talk about three kinds of courage that Joseph needed that God wants us to display as well. 
The very courage of Joseph, we should have in our own lives. And that courage is uh, expressed in several ways. I'm gonna look at it from at least the passage, the courage that's needed to face scorn in the world because you do believe in Jesus. And then it's the courage to take your hand off the steering wheel of your life, which is the hand of control that we want to have. And then it's the courage to own your own sin so you could see the saving grace of Jesus. That's where I'm going. So you wanna join me in that? Let's take a look at briefly each one of these. The first is simply this call, that we need the courage to take the world's scorn. That we're living in a time with increased ridicule and opposition and even disdain for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. In the story, we find that Mary is pregnant, and Joseph is not the father, and he knows that to be the case. Can you just imagine? Put yourself in his places, and it's an unexpected part of the story altogether, but he is crushed in this moment. His heart is just being torn from his chest, and then the angel suddenly appears and gives him a word, and and in essence, he's saying, Joseph, Um, chill out just a little bit. First of all, you're an angel, so I don't know how you chill out, but that's the temperament that you get here. Chill out because you've got a call here. Marry the girl, marry the girl. She is pregnant with the Holy Spirit. And now his mind's racing. How do I process this reality? Because if Joseph marries her, everyone in this shame and honor society is going to know after the baby comes that she was pregnant before they got married. And that may not be a big deal for us today, but in that place and time, it was a big deal because either Joseph had sexual intimacy before marriage or she was unfaithful. That was not um, a, a common experience in that day. There was a lot of shame. And the result of that would be just this rejection from people, this shame that would come, this social exclusion. And I think about that shame and honor tension of that generation, and wouldn't you agree it's still with us today in various ways? I know when I was a senior in high school, one of my best friends got pregnant in our friend group. Um, it, it, was, it was difficult news, to say the least. She's a senior in high school. Her mom and dad were God-fearing people, beautiful people. They had the tension with this shame and honor deal. They didn't know what to do. They sent her away to another state. She missed her whole senior year. There was so much pain in that family, pain in our group. This shame culture tension is still with us even today. And so Joseph is in this place, dealing with that reality. And if Joseph tells his friends Um, The truth about what happens, you can almost hear him saying, it wasn't my fault. The Holy Spirit did it. It's it's what we do. You know, we we look for somebody else to take the heat when we're in that awkward place. The Holy Spirit, it was a divine kind of conception. And you can just see their eyes rolling. Sure, Joseph. And they're skeptical. And we are today too, aren't we? The virgin birth, come on. It's one of the reasons people hesitate to embrace The reality that Jesus is the Messiah, how can this be? But for his friends there, really, they don't have an excuse. And his family then, they don't have an excuse. They knew that years before, hundreds of years before, the the valued, respected prophet Isaiah said, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. They knew it was gonna come, this Messiah from a virgin, and yet they're skeptical and he's in this place of processing and Joseph is processing deep. In fact, I think this is the essence, I wanna put it on the screen for you, of what he's thinking. If Jesus comes into your life, you're gonna kiss your good reputation goodbye. And we have that same tension. When you accept God's son into your life, you deal with this tension of reputation. What will people think of me if I say yes to Jesus? And all of a sudden you find yourself 
dealing with this reputation and then you have to ask yourself, at least for me in my journey, I've learned this, I just am aware of it. Whose reputation are you trying to protect? Your own or God's? Because your identity is now in him. And we have a call to protect God's reputation. In a world who's skeptical about God, we want God to look good. And we get concerned about us looking good. So that tension is alive and real for us as well. This is just chapter one. I mean, chapter one, he's dealing with the reputation issues and he's social acceptance and how that's gonna play out. But then you turn the page to chapter two and now he's dealing with threats, danger to his own given life because King Herod wants to take the baby's life. Here's about this king that's been born and wants to take the life of the baby. They have to flee for their lives. So it's reputation concerns and then it's concern for their own lives, that there could be death for them. You know, in many countries in the world today, to, to say yes to Jesus puts your life in danger. In fact, the Voice of the Martyrs is one of our partners here. They work with the persecuted Christians around the world. They say 13 um, Christ followers die every day because of persecution in the world. 360 million face persecution of different sorts every day around the world. And we have a growing reality of opposition, ridicule coming to us in Western countries, in the United States as well. I think about this tension and I've seen it firsthand. Traveling on mission trips through the years, I've been to many countries in remote places. I was in this remote village in India and I've shared this story before. It's one of those defining stories in my life, truly is. I'm in a worship service in a small little village, maybe 100 people there, and all of a sudden, five guys come and they stand in the back, and I'm sitting in the front. And I, I've never been comfortable with this, but in an honor culture, if you're a guest, they always put you in the front and facing the people. And I don't know why I'm uncomfortable because I'm, I'm often in front of people. So, I, but I don't. Know, I want to sit in the back row with some of you that are there, and, and are, it's okay. My mind is racing to other things I want to say, but I won't. Sit in the front sometime if you like, though. See, I, I'm sitting in the front. I see these five guys come in, and I say to them, I'm a little concerned. Who, who are those guys? And he says to me, they have come to be baptized. And for all five of them, they'd all walked over 16 miles from their various villages, and when they left, they were excommunicated from their villages because they were going to be baptized. You can say you're a Christian in that culture if you're not baptized because you're allowing other gods to be part of your life. It's syncretism. But if you're baptized, you're saying Jesus is my God that I go to, and then your life is at risk. So they're excommunicated. After the service, we walk down this dirt road for about a mile, we get to a pond, there's cattle swimming in the pond, and that's where the baptism happens. And there were many people being baptized, not just those five. And they get into the water, and man, to this day, I can see that pastor with them in the water, and he asks them three questions. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Have you received and do you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. And he got to the third question and I couldn't believe it. He said, are you willing to die for Jesus Christ? We have never asked that question at a baptism ceremony here, I'm just saying. And all of them said, yes, I will die for Jesus because their identity it was so markedly different. Once they're baptized, they say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That becomes their life. Even at the risk of their life, they put that communication of conviction there. I'm just saying an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ always requires courage. Say, we need courage. We need courage. 
And when you believe this and you receive this, amazing things happen in your life, in your journey. I, I know for me, in Romans 1.16, um, it's my theme verse in life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. That became my theme verse after my first year of faith. In my first year of faith, I was hesitant, reluctant, maybe even ashamed to share that I had become a Christ follower. And then I come to Romans 1.16 and it was arrow. I am not ashamed because any salvation I have is the power of God. I will not be ashamed. I will say yes. And then when people ask me, Joel, do you really believe a virgin birth? Jesus risen from the dead? Yes, with my whole heart. And I believe you do as well. But can I just say, in light of the world that we're living in today, expect resistance, ridicule, and scorn for your faith. And make sure the confession of our faith, the creed known as the Apostles' Creed, which is the anchor of our yes, this is what I believe, becomes your norm and your compass for your life. And I thought, as a reinforcement, would you join me? And let's stand at all of our sites together, even at home, and let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. Is this what you believe you will do well to stand with Jesus and be for him? Join me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Do you believe? Then you may be seated. And stay with me for the rest of the message because that belief will help and be a compass for you. If you believe this and you live this, yellow is so yellow. And the beauty of Jesus is magnified and the presence of Jesus awakened within you. We need courage to face the scorn of this world. But secondly, we need courage as well to take our hands off the steering wheel of our lives, which is the steering wheel of control. Jesus says, whoever um, becomes my disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, must, must deny themselves. So he's calling us to die to self. This is counterintuitive for us to die to self because generally we don't want to die to anything. We just don't want to die, period, right? We, we want to live. And we tend to want to live for ourselves, but we're being called to lay ourselves low and live for God rather than to live for me, myself, and I. So we have to take the steering wheel off um, of, our hands off the steering wheel of our lives. If you're in my office and you're walking outside of the, the door, you're just leaving my office, we've been together, you would see two images that remind me of two very important truths. And the first is a steering wheel on the left and the second is that plaque you see above the door. And this is the plaque. This plaque was given to me by Carrie, my wife, during COVID. First of all, I was impressed because it's in Hebrew and she found it on Etsy. She had no idea what she was buying me, but it was good. <laughs> and, and, and the pronunciation is Gan San Yavor, which means this too shall pass. And it came with a note, Joel, keep leading. It was a good reminder for me during COVID. 
Keep living, keep leading your life. I keep it there as a conversation when people go, why is that there? Because usually I meet with people when it's troubled times. This too shall pass. And then secondly is the steering wheel given to me by a friend because I've spoken about the steering wheel ever since we started the church. It became the picture in my life as a young guy after I'd come to faith in Christ because it was, it was unexpected in one sense. I, I called myself a Christian. I believed in God, believed Jesus Christ was the son of God, believed he saved me in, in my life, but my hand was still on the steering wheel of my life. I was still controlling. I had not surrendered my life to the Lord yet. And the steering wheel was a picture that the Lord said, oh, Take the hand off the steering wheel of your life, slide over the passenger seat, and let God lead your life. And that's exactly what I did. And little did I know how my life would change, and I'm so glad it did in so many ways. When I come back to this unexpected story of Joseph, did you notice something in it that God names the baby? Did you notice that? Has that ever stood out to you? God names the baby. And you think about that because babies are such a beautiful gift to us in life. And for parents, one of the most exciting things is to name their baby. In fact, if you're gonna have a baby, people will ask you two questions. First of all, what is the gender? Is it a boy or a girl? And then they throw a gender reveal party. In my generation, we never heard of such things. You know, the color of the cream on the cake is the dictation of what is coming, you know, or the pop a balloon and it's pink or blue or whatever. I'm just saying. Anybody over 50 feel like, what's that gender reveal part? <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> there's a generation gap there, but I think it's beautiful and fun, just different. So, <laughs> the other question that they ask is, is, what's the baby's name? People wanna know the baby's name because people have opinions about the baby's name. Especially moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. Are you gonna name the baby after me? I'm just saying there's some expectation and it gets to be odd because we have these opinions. But I want you to see here, God names the baby. In that patriarchal society, that did not happen. That was Joseph's assignment. He is the father, he has the responsibility. Naming is a sign of really control of direction for your family moving into the future. And so what you see happening here is actually extraordinary. You find that the angel is saying, no, you will not name this child. In fact, if this child is in your life, you are not his director or his manager. The baby born to you will be your director and your manager. God names the baby. Here's the tension is we wanna name the baby. We wanna name who Jesus is and what he does in our lives. And it's a tension for us, a real tension. You know, I see many people, when I have spiritual conversations with them, so many people have this sincere desire to become a Christian. They want to follow Christ. And yet they have to face this reluctance and the reluctance comes out. Am I gonna lose my identity? How much am I gonna have to change in my life? Is he gonna ask me to do things that I don't want to do? And you feel the crisis of that given place. And in that given place, they have some decisions to make. And so it's almost like a quid pro quo. If, if I have to do X and Y, I need some time to think about whether or not I wanna become a Christ follower. That, that's the real challenge that people have. And yet we find in our story that when we do that, I'm, I'm trying to name Jesus. I want Jesus, but on my terms. I'm trying to name who Jesus is and what, 
I want to direct his life. And yet it's always been consistent. God is always consistent. It's a good thing that God directs our path. So one of the most memorized verses in scripture is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Stop trying to direct your own path. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. He will direct your path. I just love that simple picture. This is what to do, trust in the Lord with all your heart. What not to do, lean in your own understanding. What he will do is direct your path. That's a good thing because you want God to direct your path. In fact, this is really the call to the story, isn't it? We need God to name us because he made us. The three fundamental questions that you ask in your life, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Is answered by the God who made you. And until you really have him at the center of your life and the identity of your life will then be formed and transformed by the reality of God's knowledge of who he is, why he breathed life into you and why he gave purpose for your life in your journey. You know, at first, I just wanna say, I know to choose to follow Christ can seem a bit intimidating, but once you step into it, it is a great adventure. In fact, when you step into it, if you believe it and you begin to live it, yellow is so yellow. His beauty gets magnified. His presence, his presence is awakened inside of you. And so you find this beautiful truth that an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ always leads to courage. Say, I need courage. I need courage. We need courage to live our lives to both face the scorn of the world, to take the hand off the steering wheel of our life, and then finally, um, we find this last bit of courage in Joseph that we should see in our lives. We need courage to own our own son because fundamentally, isn't that what we're celebrating at Christmas? Isn't the Christmas story ultimately understanding our sin and a savior? We're, we're sinners who need a savior. Back to Matthew's gospel. He says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because because he will save his people from their sins. Wow, why do we need to confess our sins? Because it's the path to yellow being yellow, to beauty being magnified, to presence being awakened within. Let me give you three reasons why we confess. First, we find that confession is this gift to us that allows me to know that my sin separates me from God and it separates me from relationship. If you have relationship issues with anybody, a friend, a colleague, or whatever, just see how much sin contributes to the relationship issues. It's the separator. Jesus is the uniter. It separates us from each other and from God, and Isaiah says it so clearly, too. He says, your sins have made a separation between you and God. In Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when we confess, we're just acknowledging what we know. There's a separation issue, and I need a savior to close the gap on that deal. And secondly, confession liberates us from guilt and it launches us into life. It's a liberator. So when we hide, um, we press down and we find ourselves in a place we're held back when we try to hide. But when we confess, we are set free. And that's why we find in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, we bring it out into the light. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so the adventure can begin in earnest. It's a whole new life arrangement when we can confess and find freedom. And then confession makes sin look and feel less attractive. 
So when we confess, we find healing from sin. And it takes courage to say, I'm sorry. And it takes courage to say, I forgive you. But when we do this, wow, great and good things happen in life and journey. I think about this because there are people in your life right now that you probably need to say you're sorry to because of things you've said or done. I just want to encourage you to have the courage to do that. And where does the strength come from? From Jesus Christ. That's where the strength comes from. If you think it takes courage to follow Jesus, can I tell you it takes infinitely more courage for Jesus to be with you. (laughs) And he comes for you, right? And so in a moment, we're gonna sing that hymn and close our service with Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And there's a line in it I want you to tune into. Mild he lay his glory by. You know, we sing it, it's commonplace. And we miss the beauty of what we're singing. What does it mean? It means that God revealed himself in Jesus the Christ. And the incarnation is him coming onto the earth in the form of humanity. He becomes a man. And he does something with a purpose. And the beauty of the purpose is just almost incomprehensible to us because the manner of it is so ghastly. But he comes to this place to die on a cross for your sin and my sin. And so he does. He comes to the edge of the cliff and then he pauses himself. And we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, is there any way you could remove this cup of suffering from me? He's having some questions. Do I go the whole distance? And then what does he say? But not my will, your will be done. He's taking his hands off the steering wheel of control. I want what you want from me. He doesn't... Um, back off the edge. He goes over the edge, he goes onto the cross, and he pays the price for your sin and my sin. He pardons us, he washes us clean, so that separation gap is closed by faith in Jesus Christ, and we have an adventure of life that is unlike any adventure of life you could ever create on your own. And so inviting Jesus at Christmas time to let that invitation be there for you. And what a deal it is. Boy, for Jesus Christ to go to the cross for your sin and my sin, I would say, now that's courage. Wouldn't you agree? Maybe a good, hearty amen. For Jesus to come to the cross and to die for your sin and my sin, now that's courage. Amen, that's courage. And so, an authentic relationship with Jesus, an authentic relationship with Jesus, always requires courage. Say, we need courage. And if you believe this and you live this, yellow is so yellow. His beauty is magnified. His presence is awakened from within. And you begin this great adventure of life. We need courage, friends, to face the scorn of this world. We need courage to take the hands off the steering wheel of our lives and stop trying to be in control when he wants to direct our path, tell us where to go, what to become. He'll guide us in that. We need courage to own our own sin so that gap is closed and we can receive the saving grace of Jesus Christ. This past week, I was in um, lunch with a dear friend of mine who's been a missionary since, I I met him when I was 22. This guy is a radical guy, and he, he has served on the radical front lines of the mission field with his life in danger. I've prayed for him all of these years, and he's in town, had the chance to have lunch with him, love this time with him. He shared with me that he has a painting that's an encouragement to him and his life's purpose. In the painting is Jesus with his hand reaching down to rescue somebody drowning in the water and their hand is reaching up to take his. But their other hand is reaching to grab a friend 
who's also drowning, so they could all come together, that he sees himself as extending that hand to those who have drifted away from knowing God's grace or have never known it and to be part of it. And when we understand the beauty of Jesus, we understand that his saving grace wasn't just for us, it's for others as well. So when you came in, you received a Christmas invitation for our Christmas Eve services. Could you take that in hand? And if you're online, you can stop by through the course of the week because we want to give an opportunity to do a personal invitation. We've always, each year, had a card with our Christmas Eve service times, but we know we're living in a time where people respond to personal invitation. So we're going to give you a moment in the service. Would you just take this moment in all of our services to write a word of encouragement? Think of somebody right now in your world order, somebody in your sphere of influence who has drifted away from the church or Jesus Christ, they're currently not engaged in a dynamic relationship with him, so beauty is muted maybe for them, or perhaps they've never known Jesus. Would you just put the name of that person and write a word of encouragement thinking of you today? We're coming up to our Christmas Eve services and I was thinking of you, wanted to invite you personally to come. Whatever you wanna say in that word of encouragement, a personal word from you will open the door for many to come. Christmas time is the most receptive time of the year for people to consider coming to a Christmas Eve service. And here, I believe in our Christmas Eve services, God's intent is to lift us up and to populate heaven in new measure with people who will come to faith in Christ. So we're gonna give you a moment to actually write that invitation. But first, I wanna pray, and then you can begin writing and then give that invitation to them. So would you join me and let's pray together. So Lord, we need courage to face the challenges of life. We need courage to face scorn and ridicule when we might wanna just shy away and go, I don't know that I wanna make you known in the midst of what I'm dealing with right now, but might we stand with you and for you as you have stood with us and for us. We need courage to take our hand off the steering wheel of our lives and trying to control everything. We get so (laughs) control-like in our behavior. May we trust you in greater measure. God, you name us. We're asking you to name us. Give us our identity. Shape it in a way that you intend. And it takes courage, oh Lord, to own our sin because it's hard. It's hard to embrace the reality of what we say and do. But boy, is there freedom and adventure when we do. And so we want that adventure to be with you when yellow is so yellow. And so we take a moment and we think about those who see yellow as just yellow wanting them to see yellow as yellow. The beauty of your majestic presence that awakens us today and always. So look upon us as we write these invitations, prepare hearts to receive the message of salvation, of life in you through Jesus Christ, amen.